praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about desire. Desire. So let me define desire for you. Desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or someone. It's wishing for something to happen. Some synonyms for desire would be want, longing, yearning, craving, to be desperate for, sought after, a must have. Okay, so we are talking about things that you should be desperate for tonight. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter 1. And I want to begin by telling you a story of a woman who exhibited great desire. Okay, so we know what desire is. Now let's see what that desire looks like in the Bible. I'm going to tell you about Hannah. Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. Elkanah was also married to another woman named Peninnah. Now, Hannah was barren, and at that time, being barren was considered something shameful. If you could not produce an heir to carry on your husband's name or your bloodline, that was considered a shameful thing. Um, and not just any child would do, Hannah wanted a son to carry on the name, just like every other woman did at that time. Panina, on the other hand, had no problems having children. And she made sure, she told Hannah at every opportunity, that she had children, and Hannah did not. Panina was considered the adversary, and she tormented, the Bible says she tormented Hannah. There have been many times when I have felt like I have been tormented by my adversary, where I have felt that all Satan does is rub my weaknesses in my face and remind me of my shortcomings and my failures. Hannah was so tormented by her barrenness, so tormented that she could not produce a son. She wanted one so badly that she wouldn't eat. She didn't sleep. All she did was grieve for what she did not have. I imagine that there wasn't a moment in Hannah's life that she did not think about not having a child. She was consumed with her desire to have a son. Now that is a strong desire. Hannah was literally making herself sick because she could not have a child. Let's look at verse 10. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid, and remember me, and not forget your handmaid, but will give unto your handmaid a man-child, then I will give unto him the Lord all the days of his life, and here... And there shall no razor come upon his head. So in her desire, Hannah cries out to the Lord. She was in bitterness of soul. Her desire had consumed her. She was so upset and worried and angry over the fact that she did not have a child. Her desire for that son was so great that she weeps before the Lord in bitterness and in soul. Have you ever been at that point where you have desired something from God? So much so that it has caused you, it has consumed you, and it has forced you to your knees where you cry out to God in such despair because of your desire. <clears throat> I don't mean a new job, a new car, new clothes, or more money. I mean something that only God could give you. 
Hannah was barren. Hannah was barren. That was something only God could give her. She didn't need money or a new job or new clothes. Her husband could provide that. He was, he was wealthy. He could provide that for her. She needed something. She desired something only God could give her, only God could fulfill. Verse 19 And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. I think those are some five of the most powerful words in that entire chapter. And the Lord remembered her. See, Hannah cried out and she said, God, remember me. Remember your handmaid. Look upon me now as I cry out in my desire for you. Look upon me and remember me. Remember my desire, what I long for, what I yearn for, what I must have. Remember that, O Lord. Don't forget me. And I love how God points out he didn't forget her. He remembered Hannah's desire. He remembered what she cried out in bitterness of soul at his feet for. And he remembered that. And not only did God honor her desire... He took that desire and he produced the bloodline of Christ himself through her son, Samuel. So he said, Hannah, because you had a desire, I'm going to not only just give you what you desire, but I'm going to make that desire great. And I'm going to take you places and do things with what was birthed out of your desire that you cannot imagine. The Savior of our world was birthed out of Hannah's desire for something only God could give her. God has taken me on a journey spiritually <clears throat> because there was a point in my life where I did not desire God. As I look back on when it started and where it started, you know, you start thinking, God, you know, this, so many things have happened and I've come so far and you start looking back and you try to find that moment when it all started and you try to figure out, well, when did this start? When did this journey begin? And I think back to several things that happened in my life that I can specifically pinpoint, and one of which was my desire. And what led to my desire? First of all, I read a book that changed my life. I read a book that in the first chapter, I was challenged with what this man wrote. That very book is the book that we're going to start studying next, or on the 9th. Okay, it changed my life, and I'm being very honest when I say that to you. It changed my life. The simple thing that he prayed, and he said, God, I desire my own stories to tell. And I thought, you know what? I want my own stories to tell. I don't want to have everyone else tell a story. I want my own voice. I want my own stories to tell. And so I began this journey. Another event, my husband went to this conference. Um, I know Mark and Marty also went. But the man that came back was different than the man who left. And that challenged me as well. Because I looked at what happened to my husband, and I looked at where God was bringing him, and that strengthened my desire for more of God as well. I began a deeper personal study. I began deeper prayer, more prayer. I began to desire God's word. I was craving God. I was longing. I was yearning for him, something only he could do. He began to wake me up and reveal his word to me. 
I became addicted to hearing from God. It wasn't enough to just have a one-time experience. It became something that I desired, I craved, I yearned for. There have been many times in my life when I have desired something, something, but not someone. God wants to be the one that we desire, not anything else. He wants to be the one and only one that we desire. I remember when I was a kid, I was like 15 or 16, and um, I, I, I desired a husband. Now, obviously, I hadn't met my husband yet, but I was 15 or 16, and I desired a husband. And I remember I used to pray, God, don't let the rapture happen until I get married. God, and then I would say, the rapture's going to happen in five years. I'm claiming it now. So I knew it's not going to happen in five years. Because no man knows the hour of the day. God, today the rapture is going to happen. It's going to happen right now. And I said, God, please, I want to know what it's like to be married. I want to know what it's like to have children. And so I would, I would pray. You know, it sounds silly, but I, I guarantee there are some of you in this room, too, that are sitting there thinking, I prayed that, too. I used to pray, God, please don't come back. Hold your son back. Don't come back for the world because I want to get married. I want to have children. You know, little did I know the plan that God had for my life and the man that he was raising up for me. Okay, and I waited for him. Now, had I taken my desire for a husband and used that desire to make an unwise decision, I could have missed out on what God had for me. I may not be standing here today if my desire had become misguided. Just because I desired something of God did not mean it was going to happen right away either. I still had to wait several years before I met my husband. So even though I desired that, I still had to have that time of preparation in my life and in his life so that God could bring us together. So you might desire more of God, but do not think that it's an overnight experience, that you're going to wake up tomorrow and be whoever God has intended you to be. It is a process. Your desire is the start of that process. There are several things that have to happen in your life before your desire can grow. And the first thing has to happen is that you must become discontent with your current spiritual walk. There is no such thing as enough of God. Everyone has a comfort zone. There's a place where we feel at ease. There's a temperature that we like. There are people with whom we feel comfortable, friends, family. We all have a comfort zone. There's not only a comfort zone for individuals, but the church as a whole has found a comfort zone, a place in the spirit where we have felt comfortable. We don't want to go too far because then we might have to change. We like where we are. We feel comfortable here. As long as individuals are willing to stay in a comfort zone, as long as churches are willing to stay in a comfort zone, as long as people stay content with where they are, their desire will lead to nothing. As long as there's offerings in the offering plate, some people feel as long as there's people in the seats, then it's kind of like everybody sits back and says, well, everything's okay. We have people here. We have money coming in. So we, we can relax. We can take a break spiritually. We quit pressing in for more of God. We quit desiring more and more of God because we feel comfortable. It's okay to be content with your job. It's okay to be content with your spouse, with your finances, with your children. 
but it is not okay to be satisfied with your service to the Lord or satisfied with your walk with Christ. We should never come to a place as a child of God where we feel satisfied with our walk, where we feel satisfied with our witness to a lost and dying world. Time is running out. We don't have time to be satisfied. We don't have time to wait. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, we cannot become content. We have to press towards that mark. If we sit and we allow that mark to stay ahead of us, and we quit pressing in, towards that, quit pressing out of our comfort zone. To press implies that there will be resistance. To press implies that there will be resistance. If you are desiring more of God, if you are pressing in for more of God, do not think that the enemy is not going to put resistance in your way. Um, Working out with weights, what is the purpose of resistance and weights? They help you to build your muscle strength. Okay, if you worked out and you didn't have anything to resist against, your muscles wouldn't grow. Okay? God allows the resistance in our life for us to press against because he develops our character and he allows us to grow spiritually. Without that resistance, we would not change. Without that resistance, our character would not grow. Never be content with your walk. Examine yourself and recognize those areas in which you need to improve. The second thing that has to change in your life before your desire will amount to something is you must take on a teachable spirit. You must glean from all situations. As my desire for God grew, I changed. It is impossible to move forward in Christ and stay who you are at this moment right now. It doesn't exist. I have learned lessons from lots of people from things, from little Jude, from my husband. Sometimes lessons are easier to accept from some people than they are from others. Not everything my husband has said to me, even though it was directed by the Lord, was easy for me to accept. But I had to take on that teachable spirit. I had to swallow my pride and glean from every situation that I was placed in. I quit asking God, why am I in this situation? Why am I here? Why did that happen? Instead, I say, God, what do I need to learn? What are you trying to purge from my life through this situation? What is this resistance trying to teach me? How are you trying to strengthen me? God will use a variety of things and people in your life. Do not dismiss something or someone teaching you something because you think, I can't learn from them. What could they teach me? What could my little two-year-old teach me? God taught me a lot when I potty trained Jude. He taught me a lot. That's another message for another day. But I learned a lot. I grew spiritually 
from potty training Jude. And you laugh, but I am very serious. At that time, it was a hard time in my life. But I grew spiritually through that time. So take on that teachable spirit. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Um, when I taught, I remember one time this kid was in my class, and it was early in the morning, it was like first period, and he had fallen asleep in class. You know, so the first time you walk by and just kind of gently nudge him, hey man, wake up, wake up, come on. You know, pay attention. You're missing out on stuff. You know, wake up. Why don't you go get a drink of water? Go stand up for a minute. Wake yourself up. You know, a couple times, you know, he'd just go back, lay his head down, and fall back asleep. So finally, I was like, you know what? I don't know what's going on in this kid's life. I'm just going to let him sleep. Okay, well, first period came and went. The bell rang. Class changed. And my little boy sat there sleeping through it all. The students came in, and I was like, he's taking a nap. Just... We're going to start class, he'll wake up eventually, and we'll move on. But we're going to have class, just come on in. I, he was in somebody's seat, I said, just go sit at my desk. I said, when he wakes up, you can have your desk back. <clears throat> Finally, he was about halfway through that class period, he wakes up, and he starts to look around. And the, the look on his face, you know, I laugh now when I think about it, and the look at his face, but he, he was so confused and disoriented. And everybody was just kind of staring at him. Some people were laughing. And finally, I just said, you looked really tired. I woke you up a couple of times. But finally, I let you sleep. Go ahead to your next class. I'll write you a note. <clears throat> First Thessalonians says to be awake and vigilant. When we become content with where we are in God, we become sleeping Christians. We become as that child in my class that was there he was present, but he was not aware. He was not vigilant or sober. He didn't learn anything in my classroom that day. And he missed out on what happened in his next class, the next place he was to go, because he was not awake and sober when he needed to be. You see, God will try to wake us up, but it's up to us to make sure we stay awake. I couldn't keep him awake. I woke him up, but I couldn't keep him awake. God is going to wake us up, but it is us, up to us to stay awake and stay sober and stay vigilant. Look for those teachable moments that God is placing in your life. Begin to desire them. Begin to ask for them. One thing God taught me as well was he asked me the question. He says, why, did you, why do you desire me? Why do you want me? And I had to think, why, why was I desiring God? Did I want a title? Did I want notoriety? Did I want, did I want something to happen in my life just for me? What was the reason behind my desire for God? See, sometimes our desire is a little misguided. Sometimes we look at what's happening in other people's life, and we think, oh, I want that. But what we're really saying is, or what's really happening is some people are jealous, almost, of what's happening in others' life, and that is what prompts their desire. Let's turn to Ezekiel. 
chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. And verse 14. You are the anointed cherub who covers, and I have set you so. You are upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Okay, in this verse, God is talking about Lucifer. And he's saying, you are the anointed cherub who covers. I've set you so. He walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Lucifer was literally before God. He walked up and down in the midst of God. Okay, Lucifer at one point had a desire for God. He was in his presence. But his desire became misguided. Look at verse 15. <coughs> you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created, till iniquity was found in you. And then jump with me over to verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I will cast you to the ground. I will lay you before kings that they may behold you. You see, at one point or at some point, Lucifer looked. And instead of looking at God, he started looking at himself. And he said, my, I'm kind of pretty. I'm beautiful. Look at me. I'm really smart. I am really wise. Look at my brightness. Look at how beautiful I am. And his desire changed from a desire for God to a desire to be God. His desire was misguided. The iniquity that was found within Lucifer was pride. He began to look at himself and see the things that he was and the things that he had become and say, look what I did. Look what I did. Look at how beautiful I am. Look at my brightness. But that brightness and that beauty did not come from him. He did not create himself. He was created by God. See, when we start looking at things that is hap are happening in our life, and we start saying, look what I've done. Look at me. Okay, that is pride. And when we start desiring more of God or desiring to be near God just to make ourselves look better, we are taking on that spirit of pride. Matthew 20 and 20 through 23, you don't have to turn there, but James and John are at um, you know, their mother's house there, and they were talking to Jesus, and they tell him, hey, Jesus, can we sit at your right hand and him on the left hand? They desired God. They longed for him, and they desired him so much they just wanted to sit by him when they got to heaven. But see, their desire was a little misguided because they wanted something that wasn't for them. You see, those places were reserved for God and the Holy Spirit. Well, our desire should be for God's presence, not to be God, or to have any glory that belongs to him and him alone. Don't desire a place, a position, a title, or glory within the kingdom of God, because all of that belongs to him. If you have to tell people who you are in the kingdom of God, they will probably not believe that's who you are. The Bible says that Christ said, Whom do they say that I am? 
You see, if I'm producing the fruit in my life in such a way that it is evident, I don't have to tell you who I am because you're going to recognize who I am. And then you will, I will never convince you that I am anything less. What should our desire look like? Okay, we have desire. We know what it shouldn't look like, but what should it look like? In Exodus 33. <clears throat> Exodus 33. <clears throat> and thank you, honey, for the, the cloth. I appreciate that. I find that I'm not sweating so much, so I'll leave that back there for next week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Exodus 33, verse 2. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of you, for you are a stiff-necked people, lest I consume you in the way. The people of Israel had sinned against God. He referred to them as stiff-necked because they were unmovable. Their heads refused to turn and see the ways of the Lord. So God told Moses that he was going to send an angel in his place to lead them because if he went with them, he was going to destroy them. God was pretty mad. He's saying, look, I'm not going to go with you because if I go with you, something's going to happen and I'm going to have to destroy some people. Have there ever been a time when you've been around somebody and you're like, it's probably best that I stay away because if I go or if I'm around that person, something is going to happen. So God says, I'm not going to go with you. And here is Moses' response in verse 15. And he said unto him, If your presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses basically said, God, I don't want to be anywhere unless you're there. I don't want to go somewhere. I don't want the promised land if it means that your presence is not going to be there as well. You see, Moses had an encounter with God on the backside of the desert that changed his life. And from that moment on, he only desired God's presence. If it meant that he did not see the promised land, he was fine with that. He only wanted God's presence. That is what we should have in our life. That is what our desire should look like. We should not be content with anything less than God's presence presence in our life. If we are to live in the promised land of our life, God's presence must be there as well. God's greatest desire is to be desired. Psalms 22.3 says that he inhabits the praises of Israel. God longs, he yearns for us. Deuteronomy 6.15 says that God is a jealous God. Why is he jealous? Because there are people who are giving away things that rightfully belong to him. There are people that are giving away their desire to things that are not for God. And he is jealous of that. Because our desire belongs to him. <clears throat> if I desire a new car, if I sit at home and I do nothing about it, I just sit at home and say, I really want a new car. It can consume me. I can be totally consumed with my desire, but it can lead to nothing unless I take action. Hannah cried out to the Lord. She continued to pray before the Lord. A man named Evan Roberts desired a move of God in his life. 
His desire for God began at the age of 13. He would wake up at 1 o'clock in the morning and pray for hours. Sometimes this little kid would not go back to sleep till 5 or 6 in the morning because he was just having a good time with God and he just wanted his presence. As he grew up, that desire grew as well. Years later, this man was the evangelist that led the great Welsh revival. Hundreds of thousands of people were saved through his ministry. It took more than his desire. It took his action as well. Pastor spoke this morning about several people who took a step towards God. You see, these people wanted something that only God could give them, but they took action. Blind Bartimaeus cried out. The woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment. You might desire a change in your life. You might desire more of God in your life. But unless you are willing to do something about it, your desire may stay just that, a desire. 1 Chronicles 4.10 tells us about a man by the name of Jabez. Jabez desired, he was born in a time of his mother's life that was deep sorrow. It says he was born into deep sorrow, and Jabez means sorrow. So his whole life, he was just known as sorrow. And his mother, anytime she looked upon him, thought about the sorrow in his life. But the Bible says he was an honorable man. And Jabez prayed. There is one verse that tells his prayer. And it's, he prayed that God would enlarge his territory. <clears throat> his desire for more of God. And the Bible says that God heard his prayer. God granted his request. His desire to come out of that sorrow his desire to enlarge his territory for God came to pass as he cried out to God. You know, I have said many times that God will give you the desires of your heart. God will give you the desires of your heart. But there's a condition to that that sometimes we fail to see as well in that verse. Psalms 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You see, that's the condition to have those desires fulfilled is to first delight yourself in the Lord. Take pleasure in him. Don't seek anything from him. Just seek him. God is enough for us. He's enough for us. And when we truly desire to just seek him and not what he can do for us, he will take us places and he will do things in your life and through you that you never imagined. You know, as I, I desire God, you know, they, there's a saying, new level, new devil. When you rise to a new level in God, your desire leads you to a deeper relationship with God, that m closer, more intimate relationship. There will be fire that you must go through. But my last point that I want to make to you tonight is for you to desire the fire. Proverbs 25.4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. As dross is removed from the silver, it is heated up in the fire to the point where it melts, and then the impurities rise to the top. And then the impurities can be skimmed off the top, and then what's left is the pure silver. Then that product can be taken to the finer or the jeweler or the artist, and it can be shaped and molded into something. The fire is there in your life to purify you, 
to purify your character, to refine your character. You should not fear the fire. You should desire it because God is purging you of who you are that is keeping you from what he wants you to be. It is only after the fire has been applied that the silver is ready to be used. See, the silver doesn't come out completely made into jewelry or completely made into art. It comes out ready to be shaped. So the fire will make you ready, and then God can shape you. I love the story of Joseph in the Bible. God showed Joseph in a dream who he was going to be. He said, your brothers are going to bow down to you. And not just that, nations will bow down to you. I'm going to raise you up. You're going to be this great man. Joseph, you know, he goes to his brothers and he said, man, I had this dream. You're going to bow down to me. I'm going to be this great guy. All these people are going to bow down to me. Okay? Basically what God was telling him, he's like, Joseph, this is who you're not. You're not there yet. This is who you have the potential to be. Joseph wasn't that man at that point that they were going to bow down to. God was showing him, this is who you're not. And I'm getting ready to put you through the fire so that I can refine your character so that when you get to this moment that I have shown you, you will be able to stand there and I can still receive the glory. See, Joseph had some pride that had to be purged from his character. He was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. He was far from that vision that he had of himself. That's what he wasn't. But he would become through the fire. If we allow God to remove the dross, those imperfections, those weaknesses from our life, we will be able to walk in our destiny. Don't be afraid of the fire. Don't resist the fire. Don't fear your weaknesses. Allow God to refine them. Allow God to refine your character so that you can become who God has purposed you to be. It all begins with desire. Genesis 2.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Why did God create us in his image? What is the purpose? of an image? What does it do? What is our purpose? If I were to take a poster of the bombers and hang it up at Walmart, my purpose is to draw attention to them. My purpose is to advertise the team. That's what I would be doing it for. That's what it would be made for. So why did God create several billion images of himself and erect them on earth? each and every person here is an image. It's a billboard, a poster for God. Think about all the billions of people on this earth that are images of God. Why did he create so many images? Because he desired to draw attention to himself. You don't put up an image of something and hope nobody notices it. You don't hope that they don't make the connection between that poster and whatever you're advertising. Your hope is to bring attention to it. God desires that we, as his image, draw attention to him with our words and our actions. He desires for us to walk in the destiny that he has purposed for you and I. As pastor makes his way up front, 
If you want to be who God has purposed for you to be, you must first desire it. It is my desire tonight as I stand here before you and I look out at each and every one of you and I think, God, I want these people to be who you have purposed them to be. I want this church to be the church that God has purposed it to be. But I can desire that all day long. But it is up to you to desire it first. My desire for you is not enough. You must have your own desire. Desire more of God, but desire him for the right reasons. Do something with your desire. Don't settle for anything less than God's presence. And desire that fire, that tribulation, so that your character might be purged and you might walk out your destiny.